0: So for the benefit of people listening, Matt Skiba isn't saying don't fuck.
1: Oh, no. Fucking is the best. Everyone should be fucking each other's (laughs) brains out. This is a test. This station was conducting a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. concludes this test of the emergency broadcast system.
0: Long-term listeners of this podcast may remember that way back on episode 39, I spoke to Dan Adriano from Alkaline Trio. If you missed that at the time, don't fear, I have a link to it in the show notes. Well, since the Chicago band have got a new album, their 10th due on January 26th, Now I'm speaking to singer and guitarist Matt Skiba, and what an excellent conversation that transpired to be. Principally, we talked about the new record titled Blood, Hair and Eyeballs, and what a record it is. The best Arcline trio record in ages and ages and ages and ages, but we cover loads of ground. And yes, I even got into some UFO stuff with Matt towards the end. He did, after all, fill the boots of the UFO-obsessed Tom DeLonge, another former podcast guest. You might want to investigate episode 13 of the podcast, though. Please don't judge me for the appalling audio quality that existed on this podcast in those days. And as well as some chat about his time in Blink-182, Matt also told me about his personal experience with the UFO phenomenon and how much credibility he puts in Tom's claims about what exactly it is that's whizzing around in our skies. Is there a podcast guest I invite onto the podcast that won't be forced to endure some UFO chat dropped into their episode? Well, that's a good enough reason to subscribe to the podcast, is it not? I'm as keen to find out as you are. So I normally use this opportunity before the episode's conversation to point you in the direction of the podcast Patreon link in the show notes. The absolute best way to support the podcast and keep it in operation is to subscribe to the Patreon, but today I'd like to point you in the direction of a much more deserving cause, that being the crowdfunder that was recently set up by music journal legend David Stubbs in the wake of the passing of legendary melody maker journalist Neil Carney Neil passed away earlier this week, he leaves behind children, their mother died not that long before Neil. And so they really would benefit from you dropping whatever monies you can afford into the crowdfunder. I'll put a link to that in the show notes also. Neil was a friend, not a great friend, but certainly someone I liked a lot and I respected and was heartbroken to hear about his passing. So while I have no idea what he thought about Alkaline Trio, I think he only really liked throwing muses, if I'm being honest with you. I would like to dedicate this episode to the memory of one of British music journalism's greats. Here's to you, Neil Nilkakani, and your acerbic, shit-kicking, hilarious journalistic flair. Right, let's get into the episode proper. It took a while to connect with Matt. I think we got there at the fourth attempt, but it was certainly worth the wait. Here is the man, the absolute fucking man, Matt Skiba of Alkaline fucking Trio. Did you do Conan last night? No, we did Jimmy Kimmel last night. Oh, I see. As a, a British person, to a British person, they're all kind of the same. Um,
1: oh, to, to uh to you know to uh american people they're all kind of the same except uh conan like when conan was on kimmel wasn't on yet kimmel is kind of now the new guy conan o'brien is now off the air as far as late night tv is concerned so jimmy kimmel has kind of cornered the market is, is
0: that the bigger is that the biggest one it is
1: yeah i mean the, there's there's jimmy kimmel which is the biggest nightly uh, show and then Saturday Night Live is is the big weekly one.
0: Yeah, that's kind of more of like a on a sort of comedy bent, though, isn't it?
1: It is. Yes, Kimmel is comedy as well.
0: I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make myself sound like a total idiot, but for years, no. for years, I thought that the backdrop, like the city backdrop, was actually the city backdrop. I didn't know it was a a screen.
1: Oh, you're not an idiot. I mean, I think that's just they want it to look like there. There are definitely um, some of those shows and they all they're all really similar. But, you know, that most of them are in New York. Conan was in Los Angeles and they do. It looks like outside the window is the city of either Hollywood or New York City. It looks super real. So there's no there's no uh, idiocy involved. It's oh, that's well, kind good. of their trick.
0: Yeah, good. Thank you. Thank you for making me feel better about that. Um, yeah, no worries. So listen, the new record is is amazing. Um, I'm oh, not thanks. I don't think I'm going in there with hyperbole. Like it really is like a classic Archangel Trio record. I think it's. I mean, you know, I, I think you've got a pretty good hit, hit, hit to release ratio as as a band that's existed for so long. But it really is what I guess would call classic trio. Um, did you know that you'd done something really good because you'd scrapped a whole record before making this one, right?
1: Not it's not really a whole record. We we had written some demos and two of them survived uh, to to make it onto this record. Uh, and, and we we kind of set them on the set them to the side. Wrote a new record and then we brought them back when we re- realized that they were it would be a shame to 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 scrap those as well. But yeah, there were a bunch of demos that got that got kind of scrapped and we. We went back and, you know, not went back, we, we went into the studio and started writing kind of from scratch to see if we couldn't, you know, beat what we'd already what we'd already done. Um, and the only reason we wanted to do that was, uh, you know, sending each other demos was the way we've made a lot of our, our records in recent years. And uh, once we started writing together, it felt like there, it was something more, more uh, unique and special to this time period and this, this, you know, uh, yeah, this time period in the band. It just felt like we we could possibly offer something a little more interesting if we wrote it together in the same room rather than sending each other ideas to learn and then kind of working on those together. I feel like doing it, doing it, it, you know, the Inception happening in a room together, it would provide a, a, a more unique sound. Hopefully we accomplished that. But that was that was the idea. And, yeah, I, I think we're I, I know that we're all very proud of the record. People seem to really dig it. So I feel like, yeah, we've got we've got a, something special on our hands. And I'm, I'm glad that you seem to think so, too.
0: I remember reading you. I remember reading you talking about the Strokes at one point and almost like that being a big influence on what you on what you were writing at that point or what you thought you might like to do with Trio in the future and and and, and that definitely feels like it's fallen by the wayside because it feels much more in sync with The Police or Nirvana or or classic trio like very much like a, like three men making uh making punk t- punk-edged rock and roll was that was that a conscious decision or was it just that it wasn't the right time to go in that direction you were talking about at one point
1: well i i never um i'm i mean i'm not sure what uh where you read it maybe it was twisted up a little bit or or the writer might have misunderstood but someone asked me uh while we were writing this record if there was anything That we were listening to that influenced us, and before, like, and and that question was posed to me. I think before we started recording, someone asked me what I was listening to, and and it wasn't in uh, the context of what we're going to try and do with our new record. It was just, "What are you listening to right now?" And The Strokes had just put out a new record,
0: right? right.
1: And I said, "I really love the new Strokes record. I love The Strokes. I think they're they're one of my favorite newer bands." Um, but it was never an, a conscious decision to try and sound like the strokes. or I never intended to, to give the impression that we were going to try and sound like the strokes. Uh, in writing this record, it was very much uh, bands like the police, the early Clash, um, Nir- like you said, Nirvana, everything you said that you can hear in the record were things that not necessarily as a band, but more, you know, the production of like Rick Rubin when he did the first Danzig record. Uh, the so, the, sim- the simplicity of Danzig One was something that that we really uh, wanted to try and not necessarily emulate, but in theory, keep in mind, like the simplicity of that production. It's big. It's it's, um, you know, it's just it's a huge stunning record without a whole lot of frills. And we, we really dig that. And Rick has done that with the Chili Peppers. He's done that with hundreds of bands. Um, Slayer. And so it was more about the production approach uh, and with Nirvana, it had more to do with Steve Albini producing in utero, again, just a very natural sounding record. So, um, you know, but, but I think the bands that you mentioned that it kind of is more akin to are the bands that, you know, other three pieces uh, that just, you know, obviously there are some cool production tricks and frills, but, for the most part, it's hopefully the songs simply on themselves by themselves stand stand on their own and uh and the production isn't isn't rubbing against it or, or or uh shielding it in any sort of way. So yeah, the strokes thing was just I'm I love love the strokes, but it didn't really have a whole lot to do with the new trio record.
0: I have to say, just criticising my profession slightly, I've always felt a little bit more equipped to be able to talk about this stuff because I was in a band myself for a long time, but I feel like sometimes music journalists, I don't think they always kind of can make the connection between someone can be listening to something, but it doesn't mean that's going to be a template for what they are going to do, if that makes sense. I don't think... I don't think many bands sit around and go, you know what? We're going to sound like the strokes in this record. Like it isn't, it isn't that, uh, mechanical.
1: No, it isn't. Yeah. It's a lot. It's, it's a more esoteric thing. And you're right. And and if you don't play music or if you're not in a band, it's understandable to think if you listen to music, this is what happens. It's like, that not though. Um, you know, I think, when uh, yeah, you you make a very good point, and I and I and it's not that I think anyone purposely like misquoted me, or I think they just maybe just genuinely misunderstood.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. And um, listen, it's, it's 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 impossible to talk about the record without talking about the themes. I mean, it's not like it's not like Trio write records that are about sunshine and unicorns, but I've often thought that there has been a little bit of. Hum- a, a little bit more kind of wryness and humor in the way that you presented the stuff. It's almost been, you know, that kind of playful way of talking about death and the gothic and such like, whereas this record feels quite real in places. You know, the horror feels quite real and not something that is um, kind of Vincent Price-esque, if for want of it.
1: It's not, yeah, it's not supernatural. It's not, uh, and and yeah, there, there's there's no, like, um you know, I, I think we've always written with certain analogies, and like the Vincent Price thing. I hope I hope I didn't just uh, interrupt you. Or no, it's or, fine. Uh, but I, I understand what you're getting at. I think it's it's uh, yeah, this record is about very uh, real things, and and they're, it's not too heavily cloaked in in any sort of analogy or metaphor. With in the past, you know, using a vampire or uh, uh, some sort of a this this sort of make believe thing to talk about something very real, which is what we've done in the past. And this time around, it's it's kind of more singing about what it's about, even if it is uh, somewhat disguised. It's like the songs are about what they're about, and um, yeah, there's a lot of real life horror. There always has been, um, but you know the 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 horrors of of real life don't you know they shouldn't be made cute, and and uh, at least not for us. And in the way they apply to this record, uh, the subject matter is yeah, it's a, it's a lot more real. At least that's how we looked at it.
0: I mean, you've been you know you've been in trio for a, a long time. This is this is my way of trying to not say you know you've lived a lot of life, Matt. I'm I'm just basically trying to say you are of a bit vintage and you've made music for a long time. Do you think that I mean that, that it's easy to sort of catastrophize about this era, but it does feel extraordinary even in my 43 years it does feel unlike it feels like there's a total void of joy and optimism everywhere and not without good reason do do you think that this is an exceptionally troubled time
1: i do i i I think that it's an exceptionally troubled time um it's also in addition to that we are getting like 20 different versions if you know at the best if not 120 different versions of the tr- the quote unquote truth at our fingertips through our phones our computer screens we are being like barraged with information most of it not very true some of it ex- you know the the truth is is hidden in those pieces somewhere if you can put it together um but i think that the um you know the just the embarrassment of information uh and how how terrifying a lot of it is affects that vacuum of joy or, you know, however you put it, it's, is el- more eloquent than what I can say now It's it, very well put that there, I think that a lot of it has to do with the information itself. I think a lot of it has to do with how we get that information. Now, how fast it comes, how often, uh, you know, it comes scares the shit out of you and then something bigger comes and and wipes that out. And that, that's not to say I spend a bunch of time sitting around being scared. Uh, I just observe, and and it, in this case, we wrote a record about a lot of these things. Um, but it is a wild time. I mean, it feels like there's there's a lot of elements that have always been here that um, you know aren't are going anywhere, that are getting even bigger and scarier. But um, but yeah, it is. It's a it's a very interesting time to be alive. It's it's uh, you know, and it, but the the thing about it though too is that I think all that this scary information that we get it it also I think shines a light and elevates the beauty in the world as well so I don't want this record to be you know we didn't want it to be without hope um but to get to the hope you have to sift through a lot of very unhopeful things first I think
0: I like that that's almost it's almost an argument about I was talking to a musician the other day and we were talking about our uh, fears we've had at various points in our life about death it's you know been a bit of a sort of it was quite overwhelming for me when i was a, a younger man and he was talking about it and we basically concluded that you know with the thing with death is without death there is no meaning you know life is life doesn't mean anything unless it's finite and i suppose a little bit it's like what you're saying is that you know things things maybe shine brighter when things are generally darker Indeed, I've been. I'm being very poetic in this conversation. I don't know. It, I like I it. Know, no, you're what,
1: you're a very uh, well-spoken man. you, you <laughs> I, I I'm impressed.
0: I don't know. I don't know what effect. I feel a little bit like you. I feel like it's you. I feel like I'm. It's happening because of you. So you can take some credit. Um, okay. Listen,
1: right on. I like it.
0: <laughs> listen. I don't want to. I don't want to pry if it's anything that you're not comfortable with. So just you know. Oh, shoot. you can
1: ask. You can ask me anything you want.
0: Oh, brilliant okay well I'll I'll crack on no I, I'm I'm being serious though I don't I don't really want to pry if it's something that you don't want to talk about but there is a reason why I'm asking so obviously you had your uh you had your summer holiday a couple of summer holidays in blink did that experience change the way you thought about trio
1: not really uh if anything you know my it my it made my uh time with trio more precious because there wasn't as much of it yeah um you know when i was with blink i had a great time i was saying this in an interview the other day it's like um someone asked about juggling blink going back and forth between blink and alkaline trio and it's like it's almost like changing the channels on the telly like you you doing one thing you can only watch so many things you can only watch one thing at once so you know same thing with playing in the band um when I was playing with Blink I was just focused on the task at hand whether we're recording whether we're playing the show in Sheffield whatever we're doing that's what I'm doing that day um and you know there were there were uh, during those times uh, that would influence just that I would miss my ba- you know not because I was with Blink but, you know, after the show or before, you know, throughout the day, I would think like, I wonder what my bandmates are doing in trio. So uh, really, yeah, it didn't affect the way that I viewed it, other than it made me um, cherish it. And the, kind of vice versa. When I was playing trio shows, it's like, I guess that was my way of doing two things at once, is I always, you know, I had my my head in the game with what I was doing. But I was sort of, you know, I, I was uh, I, I loved both projects for different reasons. Um, you know, but it definitely made me, uh, miss, miss my, miss my bandmates in Alkaline Trio, I'll say that.
0: I guess what I was thinking, and this might be me projecting slightly, is that, you know, I've always felt like with Trio that obviously you're a successful band and that's why you've endured, but I've always just thought, I I think they could be a bit bigger. Like, I think there's, it's frustrating to me as a fan that there are other bands from the scene that seem to have more of a sort of populist period. And I always think with Trio, I'm like, well, they're, they're just a better band. Why has it not happened for them? And I wondered whether there was something with your time in Blink where you thought playing such big rooms or arenas in many senses, in many in lots of ways, or headlining festivals, whether you came out of that thinking, you know what, I'd really like more of that for Trio.
1: Not really. I mean, to me, Trio is, it's bigger than anything we could have ever hoped for and playing arenas with Blink didn't change that at all. Okay. So yeah, I mean, it's, I can honestly tell you, and I understand it's like an interesting thing to think about. It's like Blink is a much bigger band than Alkaline Trio. Um, I also really love where Trio is at. Like, I would much rather play the Brixton, yeah, than the O2. If I'm being honest, I, it's just a the show is more fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, I th- yeah.
1: It's just you're you're closer to your fans. You can, I mean, and not, that, that. Don't get me wrong. Playing the O2 is an honor. I mean, it is such a cool thing. Something I never thought. There were definitely a lot of things with Blink, like private jets, police escorts, playing huge stadiums, things that I thought that's just shit that doesn't happen to punk rock bands, that wouldn't happen to uh, Trio, and it doesn't feel like something that should have happened or should be happening with Trio. I don't feel entitled to that. Um, And I think, you know, people may think I'm full of shit, but I can honestly tell you, that sometimes um, you know, smaller shows can feel much bigger than the huge ones.
0: I am a bit of a drum nerd. Um, and obviously Derek So am I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously Derek was, you know, some some player, but so is Atom. So how how is that how is that working out?
1: It's working out beautifully. Adam is such a great, you know, they're, they're two very different styles of drummers, but they can they they can also they, Derek and Adam both have a lot of the same love like musical loves, drummer heroes um so it, although it it's not uh- complete, they're they're totally different drummers, but from similar schools I think of thought of like what is tasteful, what is cool, uh and what what sounds good. I think they both uh are flashy drummers in their own right, but both guys play for the song. The big difference. With Adam is his energy level. I mean, um, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to speak for Derek, but I will say that, you know, the last this his his exiting the band was not a long time coming, but it was something we were discussing for a little while because it just became kind of untenable for him to continue touring the way we were, and it's understandable at a certain point in someone's life it just you know it's for me it's easy I don't have a wife I don't have children I don't have anything really keeping me at home I love being home when I'm here but when I'm on the road that's where you know that's where my home is that's where I want to be and you can't ask everybody to feel that way um and uh and so it just the time had kind of come and you know when somebody doesn't really want to be on tour it's starts to become more of a drag for them with Adam in the band. It feels like we have a new energy. We have, we are, we've been so busy setting up this album, but it's been fun and it's, we've been busy, but it's been easy. Even sitting here talking to you, it's, it's a good time. And, and I'm, I'm excited to do it. And a big part of that, especially when there's only three of us in the band is people's attitude. And Adams is just, I mean, the guy is, is, his, 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 um, uh, you know his his drive is inspiring and it's definitely um uh, makes makes working hard a lot more fun and uh a lot easier
0: this is a personal question so again tell me tell me to the uh, tell me to shut up if it's too if it's too personal is it is it a decision that you made to not have to not be married and have children absolutely Yeah,
1: I got I mean, I was married. uh, I was married for uh, five years. I was with my ex-wife for seven years total. Um, And when we got married, we we said that neither one of us had any real desire to have children. Um, And that started to change for her. She wanted she, you know, as the marriage kind of started to deteriorate, I think this happens with a lot of people. They think that children are going to make it better somehow. Yeah. And I know through other people's history that that does not work. And I'm not, I, I never changed my mind. I didn't think, oh, now I want to have kids. Um, she started to want to have children. I i did absolutely did not. And that sort of widened the divide. Um, so, you know, and I'm not going to, we, we, we divorced amicably. We're still friends. Um, we just kind of went our separate ways. So yeah, it's always been a choice. And that's not to say I would never remarry, but I'm not in any rush to do it. I'll tell you that.
0: I feel like I became one of those journalists there that writes for those trashy celebrity magazines that you get at the airport when you've uh, when you've got a layover and you've got nothing to read. So, apologies. oh yeah, <laughs> apologies for scratching that that element of my journalistic. Oh itch. no,
1: you're it's not it's not scuzzy or you know it's not like uh, what's the what in the in the UK what is it like the Sun yeah
0: like, like, like what yeah like tabloid journalism.
1: Yeah, no, not at all. You're
0: fine. I, I guess it's just a bit, you see, because I, I, like I say, I'm 43, and you know, really have kind of devoted my life to to punk rock. And you know, I've been married for some time, but you know, we're thinking about children now, and it's you know, it's just quite frightening, really, that thing of it's just so it's just such a big change in your life. But as much as I love, you know, seven inch singles and hanging out at the Underworlds in Camden every night, it's just. I don't know. I, I've definitely probably got like yearn for something, something, something that I can't quite put my finger on. So I'm I'm quite yeah, curious with other people, you know?
1: Yeah, I think, and I love children. I mean, I, I'm good with them. I helped raise my godson. My nephews and nieces are like my favorite people in the world. I love kids. I, and um, so it's not to say, I don't want to sound like Ebenezer Scrooge or something like, nah, I don't want any crappy kids running around here. Like I love children. And I think that, um, I understand that you're of, you know, wanting to touch something deeper and have, you know, I, I was talking to a friend of mine recently and he said, you know, he, he has a five-year-old daughter. He's with his finally with his girl, like the ride or die, you know, the, you're, you're the person you're supposed to be with. And when you meet them, you know, that that's, that that's them supposedly. I've never really experienced that, but when you meet your person and you're locked in and you make the decision to have children or maybe a child comes along and you just, you know, just, um, you know, get get you get used to the idea of having a child. And uh, but he said, you know, I I wouldn't change it for anything in the world, but it sucks. Everything about your life is over. Your whole life becomes for this other person. But he said it's a love that you will not attain any other way um yeah, that's, so that's... there's that so i think that you know i wouldn't ignore if i were you it's like the seven inches in the underground aren't going anywhere brother like you can have kids and still do that not like you're doing now but i would investigate if you have that urine it's just for me uh i'm not ready to give up my my life for someone else i i still have too much music to make and too much touring to do yeah uh, I, I, but if I you add think... my my bandmate dan has a has a teenage daughter and you know, I know that, that it's it's his life. He's somehow been able to juggle both. So, you know, it's 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 a case-sensitive thing. For me, I don't want that responsibility.
0: I, I think that's a really mature attitude to have, though, isn't it? Like, rather than be like, oh, you know, I'm in, I'm in a marriage. It's coming to an end. Let's have children. That might keep us together. Or just being reckless really if you're kind of aware i that i that you don't want something or you don't need something or it wouldn't be good for you that's way healthier than doing something and not being in, in it for the for the long haul you know
1: oh yeah and you're gonna potentially ruin this child's life you're gonna ruin your own life everyone's gonna be miserable and why you, you're just at that point uh you're just contributing to the overpopulation problem
0: yeah yeah, it's weird. It's, it's funny funny they say that because of the, you know, we were discussing truth, this sort of post-truth society and I re- I sometimes read articles where it talks about population collapse and about how we're not having enough children, but I was always led to believe that there was an overpopulation problem. So I don't even know what's true in Oh, in-
1: maybe yeah, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I I'm like uh yeah, I, I definitely, I'm not up on current news a lot of the time, so don't take my word for it. I mean, <laughs> a bunch of people may read it and be like, well, this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. But I think there's also, like pop, you know, whatever the case may be, maybe there aren't enough kids, maybe there's too many. It's my understanding that there's too many of us on the world. And I think that maybe that's, uh, I don't know if that's fact, maybe it isn't. Uh, but I do think that uh, less is more, no matter what you're talking about. Um, On a personal level, I think, though, you know, having children, you may you may have a child that saves us from ourselves. You never know.
0: I like that. So for the benefit of people listening, Matt Skiba isn't saying don't fuck.
1: Oh, no. Fucking is the best. Everyone should be fucking each other's (laughs) brains out. It's keeping us from killing each other. But no, no, it has nothing to do with the sex. I think sex is is. uh, Yeah, it's one of my favorite things in the world. It's just. Um, yeah, be careful! Don't make babies every time you do it.
0: I like that. I like that. Um, listen, as someone who's crossed paths with, uh, as someone who spent some time in Blink, and I, I'm, I'm a bit of a, I mean, UFO nut basically. Are you, oh yeah. Are you, are you buying? Are you buying everything that the guy that you played guitar in his place is selling? No. No, I'm not. And I and I've
1: talked to Tom about this. Tom and I are friends. I've known Tom for a long time. Trio used to tour with Blink. And uh and I had um yeah, I I do I don't I believe we are not alone. I mean, I've seen uh uh I have one personal UFO sighting that I don't know what it was. I mean, it was unidentified, but I took a photo from an airplane. And I was taking a picture of a sunset and I took like maybe a dozen photos of the sunset. We were flying to Europe, uh, flying into Lund- to Heathrow, actually, like maybe 15, 20 years ago. And I was taking a picture of the sunset and in one, or I'm sorry, sunrise. And in one of the pictures, and I didn't notice, I took the photo. But when I got on the ground, I had one of those sidekick two, like flip phone thingies. And I was, I plugged it into my computer and was dumping the photos onto my computer. And in just one of those dozen or so pictures of this sunrise, there is a perfect cylindrical disc darting through the air right below, like I'm I'm shooting the pictures out of the window of a, you know, a 747 or whatever it was. And you can just see this perfect disc, like reflecting light. It's on my Instagram. You can look at the picture. It's And people look at it and they discount it like, oh, that's fake. Or you put that in there, whatever. I don't know how to fake, digitally fake a photo. If, you know, you, I, I just technically don't know how to do that. And um, so people that know me know that the photo is real. Uh, I just, um, you know, it, I don't know what that thing is. It's darting towards the ocean. It doesn't look from this world. But it opened my mind. The only thing that it really did was open my mind to the possibility that we're not alone. Um, but you know, Tom was getting onto this thing where he was going to build a flying saucer that he was going to do all, you know, he, he definitely came out of the gate making, uh, claims that I personally don't agree with from the things that I've learned. And who, there's, there are no real experts on this. I mean, Jeremy Corbell, there's a guy named Jeremy Corbell here in the States. And that's the guy, if you're interested in the UFO phenomena or UPA, whatever you want to call it. Jeremy Corbell is my guy for that kind of stuff um, yeah, yeah, he, just he wrote... because he doesn't claim to know anything. He just finds the footage, posts it, says where it was. You know, a lot of this is footage from, uh, you know, uh, weapons platforms, and they're trying to shoot these things down. So he doesn't offer some deep insight into the, you know, the, the Operation Blue Book or, or whatever the hell it's called. It's like a lot of the things that Tom was saying. I think he believes to be true. I just I didn't agree full, with a, a lot of it, I feel like a lot of it was speculation. He was stating as fact.
0: There's a there's a video that Jeremy Corbell put out last week, him and George Knapp, that's Yeah, the jellyfish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw it and I was like, that is wild. But then it could also be bird shit.
1: What the thing going across the screen?
0: <laughs> it could be bird shit on the lens, or it could be balloons. Is what some people are saying. I mean, do but... you
1: see? You see the heat signature like changing on the thing?
0: Oh, right. So, so you think that's something?
1: Oh, I do. One hundred percent. I mean, there. If you look on his Instagram, so there's the newest one, and I think they're calling it the jellyfish. Yeah. Uh, that thing with the like, it looks like it has tendrils kind of hanging down. It looks like a, this like something out of Star Wars. But when you watch it, and sure, it could be faked, but I don't I don't think that guy has that kind of time on his hands. I don't think it's I think it's real. Uh and I have friends that, you know, I have friends that are pilots, I have family that are pilots, I have military family, and they've all seen shit like that.
0: See, so this is wild you see, because obviously we were talking a bit about what's going on in the world right now and just these sort of this apocalypse, literally apocalypse now, right now, you know. And I just feel a little bit like if this was military tech, I just think you would be seeing it in the field. You know, like that's the thing that that's the thing that makes me think there's something going on. But anyway, anyway. Um,
1: yeah. I you. don't think it's, bird. I don't think it's bird shit, but uh, you know, that's sort of my thing. And I don't want to take anything away from Tom. I love Tom. Uh, I just, I wasn't really buying the thing when he went on Joe Rogan and stuff. I was like, man, like, you shouldn't make such wild claims because you, you know. I think it's it's a way better thing to just say this is the this is what we can see and this is you know take it or leave it. But you know it should pose more questions than statements.
0: Well, like that. that That's you being poetic there. Um, listen, I, we're we're at time, so I'll, I'll I'll wrap up. But thank you so much for speaking to me, uh, Matt. Yes, that's, I'm
1: sorry it took so long.
0: No, it's been a real treat. I worked out the other day that you. I think I spoke to Trio for my first ever feature for Metal Hammer magazine when I used to write for that, and that was that's got to be I, I reckon that's twenty years this year, so it's it's wow. very nice to speak to you again. Um, so the record's out January twenty sixth,
1: twenty sixth, yes, sir.
0: Um, and when are you coming to the UK? When are you playing shows?
1: Uh, we're gonna be there. Gosh, I was just looking at the at the dates. Um, hold on one second. Let me see here. We are gonna be in the UK. Uh I'm cheating. I'm looking on Instagram right now, if I can pull it up.
0: Um sorry to put you on see. the spot.
1: No, no, no. We're you're fine. So we get to the UK. This is uh July twenty second. Oh nice. through August through August uh oh July twenty-second through July thirty-first will be we start in uh, Newcastle. and We end in Birmingham.
0: Fantastic. Well, I will be there for sure. Uh, not awesome. not all, not not all of them, but I will be there when no. you get to London. You know. Um, yeah, we're I,
1: in London, uh, July twenty sixth.
0: Yeah, I mean, I might I might be a dad by then. Who knows? I mean, the, the oh, numbers, that's awesome. The numbers don't quite work there, but you know, who knows? Um, well, thank you. Good for
1: luck spe- to you. I'm, I'm sure you guys will be, be great parents.
0: Thanks, man. All right. Well, thanks for speaking to us. I'll uh, I'll see of you again. Course.
1: See you, dude. Yes, sir. Bye. Thank you for your time. Bye
0: bye. Well, that was episode 233. Thanks to Matt for the chat. Thanks to Emma Van Dykes and Siobhan Connor for hooking us up. The theme tune is by the band fists, and I'll see you soon.